The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gap, number 89 for January 22nd, 2007. sound awfully chipper today, John. How are you? <laughs> Greetings, folks. There it is. I knew you'd do that for me. I, I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Dave. How are you? This is this is John Braun, and I'm here with my uh, co-host, Dave Hamilton. How are you? I'm. Uh, wow, that's just all reversed, man. I can't is, handle that. It's bass backwards. Um, <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm all drugged up today. In in the interest of full disclosure, I have a, a cold, and so I'm taking the the new recipe of Dayquil. Uh, which doesn't have Sudafed in it anymore, or pseudo pseudofedrine or whatever it is. It, no that's meth a, lab for because, you, right? Because it's a precursor to methamphetamine or whatever. <laughs> so it's got this phenylephrine in it, and yeah. uh, I don't know. Um, uh, it, it doesn't have a lot of side effects, which is good. It doesn't like dry me out too much, but I'm thinking that's kind of a problem. So that's good. And uh, full disclosure here, I I have a nice uh, dogfish head 120 minute IPA sitting here. Oh boy, for the for, for the beer connoisseurs out there. One is all you need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. So we have all kinds of stuff to go through tonight. We've got uh, some answers about Doris's rebooting, magical rebooting iMac. And then we've got some more thoughts about the geek challenge that we posed last week about iTunes. I'm not sure that we are finished with that yet. Uh, and then uh, and some new questions that are actually going to be a whole lot of fun. So let's get right to it and uh, and listen to what Chad had to say about Doris's magical rebooting iMac. Greetings, gentlemen. This is Chad from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm calling in regards to Doris's uh, problem on number episode number 88. Uh, Doris had the G5 iMac that was flickering, shutting down, um, all sorts of bad things. Uh, you two had both suggested it might potentially be hardware. I can almost definitely suggest that it's hardware. Uh, a very good friend of mine and her fiance uh, were having similar problems with their iMac G5. Um, very similar problem. After some pressure from me, they finally took it into their local Genius Bar, and uh, they actually took the machine with them. The genius laid it down, flips it open, and instantly identified the problem it was as he suspected, bulging capacitors, which is just as bad as it sounds. Um, <laughs> bulging capacitors. That's crazy. All right, let's, uh, sorry, we'll let, we'll let Chad finish here. If, if Doris is still under Apple Care, I highly recommend she take it in. Essentially, they paid completely for sending it off. Um, it required replacing the logic board. Um, if she's no longer on Apple Care, I'd still take it to the Apple Store, find out what the cost is. It's probably going to be less than a new iMac. Uh, that's my suggestion, and have a good day. Bye. Yeah, and of course, Chad uh, was not the only one to send something in about this. There were many, many, many of you, uh, Robert, I believe, and, and a couple of others. Uh, it It is a, a known issue. There was a repair extension program issued by Apple for this, so we've put a link in the show notes this week. I think... John, you actually put a link in the show notes last week for it as well. Last week, yeah. yes, because we had the right ins and and absolutely every now and then, you know, Apple has a little yeah, problems. You know, a little problem. There are problems, yeah. and uh, that they so that's why that happened. They may not not have explicitly said, "Oh, this is under a repair program." They, yeah, uh, but you know, they'll do you good. Now it's yep. funny because I do remember back in the you know the good old Apple II days. Um, 
if you remember, the disc controller had a connector that wasn't keyed. Oh, that's right. And yeah. I remember the same phenomenon. You may have seen this. And the problem was if you put the connector one pin off, which you could do because they weren't using very sophisticated or keyed connectors. Right. Instead of introducing 5 volts to the capacitor that wanted 5 volts, you would give it 12 volts. And it Pow. wasn't so much the bulging capacitor hmm. as it was the exploding yeah, I, I, capacitor. As I, as I like to say, you uh, when you would do that, it would let the magic smoke out of the capacitor. And, of course, all electronics run on magic smoke. And if you let— Well, why do the, you say that? Because I've seen it. Because the electronics work, right? And then when as soon as you let the magic smoke out, it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> or in the case of caps, the magic stuffing. They're, the magic Inside. stuffing. That's but right. it's definitely so that definitely points to you want a, all that a, stuff say, to stay in there. That's right. Yeah, so it's definitely a power supply problem, I would say, in that it was providing a little too much juice to those uh, caps, and they were getting kind of a uh, kind of upset. Yeah. All right. So um, yeah. And, now I wonder if um, I, I mean Apple does include with a lot of machines something called Apple Hardware Test. Now I haven't followed the latest. I, right I don't think Intel that Macs. would. I don't think that would test for this. Uh, yeah, it's a it's that, a power supply issue. Yeah, I don't or a, a you know power controller issue or something. But uh, well, actually, you know, I guess it was doing its job. It detected something was wrong and it shut off. Yeah, that's true. That's so true. the power supply yeah. detected it was going out of spec and something was wacky and maybe it zapped a few things, but it shut off before it did any real damage and you know burned the house down. So uh, it sounded like it was doing what it should and and there was a replacement program. Good news. So yeah, so thank you everyone who wrote in. And and I want to actually along those lines, I wanted to just say very quickly when I'm going through the the Geek Gab email box as I do uh, usually on Fridays or Mondays prepping for the the upcoming show, uh I do read all the emails that come in. I try to reply to the ones uh all of them that I can that make sense to. But if you do get a reply from me, it's short. Uh it it's not short because I'm being short with you. It's simply short because I'm short on time. And uh, so please excuse if excuse me if there's any that, that come across as me being less than uh, less than friendly. It, it, it actually is quite the opposite. I'm, I'm ple pleased as punch to get all these emails really humbled actually that we get all this stuff from you folks, but it's a lot and uh, and it is a lot to go through. So yep. And I take a peek every now and then. And I, I got to say, yeah, like at Macworld, I wasn't sure if Dave was there. <laughs> no, because he, he's such a popular guy. He was all over the place. I mean, it was yeah, crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. So. Uh, all right. So now we will move on to the Geek Challenge. And the Geek Challenge, uh, the, the current one that we have in front of us is last week we played a comment by a guy with an NAS-based, uh, network-based storage device on, on which he stores his iTunes library and he wants all of his Macs to see this library, um, or at least see all the songs in this library with just the one copy of the songs. I, there's a couple of, I don't believe we're we're there yet, uh, but we'll uh, we'll see if we'll see if we're getting a little bit closer. Yeah, and to um and, and just toss in NAS yeah. storage, think network drive. So he's basically got a drive that multiple computers in his household can see. Right, and so I think there's a convenience thing, but NAS is network attached storage, and that seems to be a just to fill in a a, a trend. It, it it's kind of like a file server, but you don't need a computer. It's a, a drive enclosure that has some smarts, and um, all the computers on your network potentially can see it and share. And uh, as I think he had an HP one. Yeah, and uh, I've seen you know Maxter and uh, and a few other guys introduce these, and they look they look pretty slick. Um, 
But anyways, we, we had a, a few uh, suggestions. So, back to you. Hello, John and Dave. My name is John from New Jersey. I just got done listening to your podcast, number 88, and I think I have an answer to your geek challenge question about the iTunes. If you use something like Chronosync, you can grab the two small files that iTunes keeps in its in own folder and just push those across the other three Macs and across the network. And then the other Macs would then know what songs are in what folder, what folders are in what directories, and where the folders and songs are all lie. Just an idea. All right. Thanks for the podcast. Love the show. Bye. Thanks, John. Uh, yeah, that would work. But there, there's a couple of things. One, one Mac would always have to be the master on that, or at the very least, with with Chronosync, I believe it'll it's smart enough to go and grab the most recent version of that file, and and share it all around. The problem there, of course, being that if you uh, if if you ha if you modify the file in two places between syncs you're going to lose the changes in one of them, right? We're not talking about actually syncing the contents of the XML file. And really, that's what we need to do here is, is it needs to be right. smart enough to go and grab the, the actual contents of, of that XML file and parse them. And so maybe that's, maybe that's the, the angle to head down. Is there anything that's smart enough to do that? I don't know. Now, there's uh, two, to, to get back to the two files specifically, for those that yeah. are curious, yeah. in your iTunes folder, you will see, as they pointed out, we have iTunes Music Library.xml, and then we have another file next to it, iTunes Library. And I think those are the two files that he's talking about, the ones that are, are kind of the, the, I'm not sure why they have two files instead of one. Right. Which is kind of wacky. But, yeah. uh, but, but those two files, I'm looking at my configuration right now, and they both have the exact same uh, time date stamp in addition to iTunes music, which I think is where all your good stuff is. Where, where, your where Yeah, where the actual song stored. files are. That's right. Yeah. So those two files, I would say the combination of the two, again, why are there two? iTunes music library, XML, and just iTunes library um, point to all of your music. So yeah. just want to clarify that. All right. But Matt did have uh, an interesting uh, point to, to make here. So we'll, we'll, we'll switch to this. Hi, uh, my name is Matt uh, Mendick, calling from uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I had a possible answer to uh, the question that the guy asked, I don't remember his name, about the network attached storage and iTunes, uh, library syncing and whatnot. Um, my idea was to uh, save the library of, the, of the, the main, you know, host computer on the network attached storage, and then when you start iTunes on all the four, four computers, you press shift to load that library directly from the network attached storage so that all four computers are loading the same library and they'll have access to the same songs in the right places and whatever. So I don't have the equipment to test that, uh, but it's just an idea. Maybe that'll work. Thanks. Have a good one. Bye. All right. Now, when I tested this earlier today, I I'm, I was almost certain that I used the shift key and was successful, but... Uh, almost. But but John pointed out to me that that I I don't believe that I was successful because uh, I think it was the drugs man. It, you may be right. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll actually I'll actually agree with you on that one. It's the option key, right? Is that what you found, John? Alt or option key will bring up a dialogue saying choose iTunes library, just as if the, it, it couldn't find them, and you can either quit create library, which that's kind of interesting, or yeah. what's the default choose library, which then you point to. The folder that has your uh, your library, and there you go. So yeah, we, the, and that ties into the, the there, thing. There's a caveat there, though, because you can't have more than one file, uh, more than one user accessing that library at the same time. 
uh, if you do it that way. It, what that would do, though, okay. is totally solve this problem. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you your play counts would be updated. Any playlist changes you made would, would be reflected. Obviously, anything you imported or removed from the library would be there because it's just one file. We're not talking about syncing anything. We're talking about one copy right. of the library and then different computers pointing to it at different times. And that's the key is at different but, times. So now why do you say that? Have you have you tried two at once and will one complain saying what file and user or something? Uh, you know, I, I haven't. Are you, are you just going on intuition that I'm going on intuition and what I've read that which I would concur with you. Yeah, that, <laughs> that these files aren't meant to be shared. And uh, and if you have two, you know, two I two instances of iTunes pointing at the same file, I, I think you risk corruption of those very uh, files that we talked about, those two files. So, uh, yeah, and I, I could see that, that, you know, maybe you add something on one, they update the file, then the other and then. All of a sudden, they, they have different views of, of reality. Yeah, my, my guess is that and, the file is, is, you know, is they store bits and pieces of that file in memory and assume that the disk is not going to change underneath them. Um, who knows? Uh, if anybody has any experience oh, with that, please let yeah, us know. Yeah, I, t- I may try it. Okay. I got two computers. You've got two computers. Well, well, we'll try it if anybody has. But, you know, we're going on our gut here, which is uh, that, you know, multiple people accessing these files that are important for iTunes to understand what its world looks like uh, is a bad thing. Yeah. But hey, maybe they... Make a backup, John. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, at least if your iTunes index files there, if not the whole thing. Yeah, I'd I'd shoot a backup of the whole thing before you start messing with it. Yeah, Yeah, I'm with you. All right, so uh, yeah, Noah had actually written an email that that covered a couple of those options as well. And then Daniel wrote in with uh, an automator action that basically, and I put a screenshot of it up. It's just two steps in the automator action. The screenshot is already in the show notes. You don't need to wait for them to be complete. It will be there by the time you hear this. Um, and the screenshot shows you that it, it just scans whatever folder he's he's got out on the network and then imports those into whatever playlist you choose uh, into iTunes. The problem with this is... Uh, he's got it, I believe, scanning the folder and saying, find me any files that were added since yesterday. And the problem is it will do exactly that every time you run it. So if you run it three times today, it will import the same files three times. So uh, th- there may be there may be some add-ons to Automator that make it a little bit smarter, and we're, we're kind of hoping that somebody will, will stumble onto this. We're, we're feeding as much information out there because... Well, frankly, we know how this troubleshooting process goes. You know, you, you see a problem and you think, okay, yeah, uh, I know the parameters there. And then you start kind of just throwing other things into the mix. Think of it as a, and I hate the word, but think of it as a group brainstorming session. So we're just throwing all this data out there, hoping that it will catch with one of you. And you'll say, oh, wait a minute. I hadn't thought about it before, but when you said X, I thought Y, bam, there you go. Or maybe it's just the drugs. Bam. Bam. That's right. Our sponsor this week is Audio Engine, and I am going to let it very strange that we got a, an audio comment in about Audio Engine, so uh, we're going to break from form here and uh, and let this roll. Hi, John and Dave. I have a question for you. Bear with us. This gets it better. speakers. I was wondering about getting the audio engine files, but I have some questions about them. Number one, will they work with my MacBook? Number two, 
Will they work with my fourth generation iPod? Number three. I think you have them. Do you like them? Are there any problems with them? I love the show and remember. Yeah. Huh. Uh, yeah. So okay. let us know. We got a mini challenge. Let us know which voices <laughs> were used. Which That's right. There synthesizer voices were used to make that. All right. So these are the these are the audio engine speakers. Will they work with the MacBook? Absolutely. They'll work with any Mac. They they have a standard audio import, the little eighth inch port. They come with a cable to plug into your Mac's audio uh -huh. out jack. So absolutely. For the same reason, they'll work with the iPod. You plug it into the headphone jack and the iPod, and you plug it into this. Do I like them? I, I, yeah. I mean, it. you know, one of the things we try not to do with the ads is just offer blathering endorsements of the of the product. But yeah, absolutely. I love them. I, you heard me talk about them before they were before they were a sponsor. I, the, these are the best speakers I've ever had on my desk. So uh, be that be that as Likewise. it may. Yeah. I like to turn them up to 11. That's right. Yeah, yeah, they they do. They they're very... and they go to eleven. Yeah, uh, it, it's one of the few sets of speakers I've seen where you can crank it all the way to the maximum setting, and you don't risk destroying them. These guys know what they're doing. You can and and it doesn't sound terrible either. I mean, it, it, I don't know what they're doing inside of there, but you get loud, loud, not distorted, yep. which I think you get from some you know cheapies. The A five speakers to... from AudioEngineUSA.com. Awesome. Okay, so 206-666-GEEK is the number to call. And thank you, Toby. Oh, that's also 4335? 4335, that's correct. Right. All right, so it is time to move on to some new questions. And we're going to get right into the geeky thick of it here. And Ooh. hopefully I'm not in too much of a fog to, to navigate us out of that thick. But uh, either way, we're going to go. Hey, Dave and John, it's Barrett, a.k.a. Mr. X from Tonawanda again. A uh, quick question for you. Um, got an external hard drive. It was previously FireWare 800, but I didn't get an adapter cable because I ran out of PCI slots and I forsake the uh, FireWare 800 for SATA. Anywho, um, with my internal SATA drive, um, it's on the PCI bus, and so was my external drive. Um, I previously thought it was uh, a very eloquent solution. Uh, not eloquent, not a good word, but it was a very... Uh, good solution that I had uh, a primary drive through ATA and then I would send the data I could talk to the external drive and it was just passing straight through the box or it would go over, over the firewire anywho now they're both on the PCI bus um, is there any sort of if I go from disk to disk am I is there a possibility that like a um, there's a problem like with previously people would put two CD burners on one ATA bus and on slower machines, you would get pops and skips because you were saturating the bus or there was data was bumping into each other. I know that's a very untechnical uh, point, but uh, didn't know if there's anything um, about that. All right. Thanks again. Bye. Okay. Uh, so very important to differentiate between the different types of ATA, right? The old type, uh, which has now been retroactively called parallel ATA, uh, allowed for two devices on each bus, initially called a master and slave, really then just called device zero and device one because mm -hmm. neither device was the master of the bus in, in more recent incarnations. It was actually the host controller that controlled what, you know, what device got to talk when. The important thing to know about ATA 
is parallel or serial is that only one device can talk on one bus at a time. So what, uh, and, and, and there's some contention here between John and I, if, if our caller's name is Barrett or ferret and, uh, and so I'm going to say, I'm going to say Barrett. Uh, but what Barrett said was, I thought it was a nickname. Maybe I mean, it could be. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, what Barrett said was in the old days, if you had two CD burners or even a hard drive and a CD burner on the same bus, so one master and one slave, uh, you could get disk skips and, and problems. And the, and the reason for that is most host controllers weren't smart enough to do anything other than one device instruction after another so if it's sent an instruction to a cd-rom drive it doesn't matter how fast the bus is doesn't matter how fast the hard drive is on you know the other hard drive is on that bus we're now waiting for that cd burner to answer our our query right in fact the the, the slowest the the quickest turnaround you're going to get is when you're getting data back and forth but but it's a very chatty protocol, right? So th- there's a lot of other things happening. Are you ready? Where are you? That sign, that kind of thing. And all of those, if if you've got a slower device like a CD drive, you're wait, you send out the 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 question or the query, and then the bus sits there and does nothing until it gets the answer Ooh. back. Yeah. So you're saying that's uh, what I'm going to call an atomic operation. It can't be split. So. You well, it, it, but the spec says that it can be right in in later can versions. Be. I think ATA four or maybe ATA five oh, okay. or later. It can be, okay. but again, it's up to the that. it's up to the host controller, i.e., the chip on the motherboard or the chip on the add-in card, to do that. And most of them did not support the queuing and all of the the other parameters that were built into ATA uh, four and greater. Basically, all these manufacturers would do was say, "Oh well, uh, yeah." We'll, we'll support the larger drive sizes, you know, supported mm-hmm. by, by the larger, uh, by the newer incarnations of ATA. And you know what, the, the, all these other specs, the, the, all these other parts to the spec that not that important, the drives work. So we're good to go. So that, that's what would happen with, with what's now called parallel ATA. Serial ATA, which is what's in all or most of the new Macs. Are we going to call that SATA or S- SATA? SATA. What, what's yeah. the... I SATA, think is SATA. That the cool kids I think say it that way. That's what all the kids are they're calling it. That's right. Uh, SATA only supports one device per bus, so it's not an issue. It it it, it does. It suffers from all the same problems. It, it you have to wait for an answer before you can send out the next command, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But since SATA only supports one device per bus, it's irrelevant. Now, why does it only? Why is it less? Well, in the old days you typically would have one IDE bus in the very old days in a computer. And so they'd say, well, let's, let's at least modify that bus or make it so that that bus can support two drives and we're good to go. Now that's not an issue. I mean, computers are coming with three and four IDE buses in them. So when they started putting SATA, SATA buses in the computer, they figured, well, we'll, let's just cut this, this slave drive off the bus and, and bam. And so now it's a lot more efficient. So to answer your question, Barrett, uh, no, it, it's not going to be a problem with Time Machine because you're going to have multiple buses in, in your machine. If you if you hook up a second internal SATA drive, it is totally separate from any other SATA drive in that computer, effectively. Okay. Okay? Gotcha. I made now, it. The, the one thing I... Hey, awesome, man. <laughs> the one thing I want to mention, though, just, just, just to uh, look at the relative performance issues here, yep. is that... Uh, so I, I did a bit of poking around SATA claims to go up to 150 megabytes a second. 
Uh-huh. Okay, you with me on that? Okay, yeah. Are you cool with that? Uh, uh, Megabytes where's, where, a second, yeah, okay. Yeah, where, whereas you have things, uh, and I'm going to link to an article. Uh, what, one of the sites that I like for you know, figuring out hardware is Tom's Hardware. Have you been there? Oh, yeah, many times. Yeah, so I got this from there. Now, it, you know, it's not the fastest. I guess there's, you know, especially some high, high-end SCSI buses that can go like 320 and right. all that. But the thing to keep in mind is that the, uh, the one of the dynamics that that's pretty constant, at least for now, is that the drives max out internally, getting from the platter to the bus on the drive to about 60 to 80. So, right, you kind of have that dynamic going where even if the drive is performing at peak efficiency. It's nowhere near the speed of the bus that it's talking on. So I guess you and I were chatting earlier, and I think there's a potential that you could probably, you know, because the drive is relatively slower than the bus, depending on, I think, as you pointed out, if the chip and the, you know, the controller can deal with this because the drives aren't as fast as the bus, maybe you can, you know, kind of talk to maybe two at the same time and not take too much of a big hit. If the controller is smart enough to do it. Yeah, to say okay, you, 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 you. But but as you as you mentioned, a lot, you know, and and I can see this from a development point of view. You want to get lazy, you say okay, I'm going to send out a command. I'm going to hang out and wait for right. somebody to talk back to me. And in the meantime, yeah, nobody's I'm, I'm doing anything. Look, la la right. la la, <laughs> which is easy programming but not efficient. So that's right. Okay, there you go. Dan has a has a question. We talked about retrospect last week, and uh, and Dan has a question about it. So. Onward we go. Hello, John and Dave. This is Dan from Tampa, Florida. I was just listening to uh, number 88 this week, and one of the references you made about uh, backups and retrospect um, kind of concerned me because one of the questions I had about retrospect and using it with an external drive is that, if I recall correctly, it requires a separate partition for each backup volume. Therefore, if you wanted to run a seven-day rotation, for example, you'd have to create seven separate partitions for retrospect to be able to use those for each of the backup volumes. Um, I'm a long-time uh, user of retrospect in enterprise environment, but typically with, tape, with tapes. And this was something that I encountered when I got a copy for personal use and was planning on using it on uh, one of my Macs. I'd appreciate it if you'd address that if you can, um, because I do currently use Mac Backup, although I typically do full backups rather than incremental, so the incremental issue was not a problem for me. All right. Uh, I'm I'm with that. To, just to interject, Yeah. I much prefer making full backups because I don't trust the machine to do it properly. Yeah, well, if you've got okay, the time. Okay, now that I... Yeah. All right, I'm if you're take backing my... up, If you're backing up over a network, though full backups every day Ooh, don't make sense. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, depending on the amount of data you're backing up. So that being said, uh, no, you do not have to use a separate partition or separate volume for every backup set in, in retrospect. You certainly can. Uh, and as you found with tapes, you know, that, that obviously works just fine. Uh, but what you can do is do a file set based backup and that will save and you can save it anywhere you want uh, so you could pick one backup drive and save seven days worth of backups to it and each one would just appear as a separate file that's it one file for the backup and then a catalog file which you normally store somewhere else uh, so now I wouldn't recommend doing that if you're going to do backups uh, I would actually do them on different drives for the sake of uh, redundancy and 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 safety, but you certainly do not have to. And you can have other things on that drive. You could have 
for different backups from different things. It, it, it's just a file, like a Word document or anything else. So uh, check out file sets in, in retrospect if you're, if you're looking to do that. Like I said, I've, I've been using retrospect for over a decade. It, the interface is backwards as, it, as they come. But once you learn it, you know, it, it's, the, it's the classic thing. Instead of it working to think the way you want to think, you have to work to think the way it wants you to think. Uh, and that is what I consider a design flaw, a UI flaw. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, it, software, a, shouldn't, was... software shouldn't force you to think a different way, but retrospect does. However, once, once you've adapted, it, 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 you're good to go. So I was, I was going to say it's the windows of the backup world. It, bingo. Right. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it does work. So, we, so there you go. Yeah. So should we do Dave we'll, we'll or do, Steven? We'll, we'll do both of Dave's actually. Dave had Dave sent in two questions, so we'll we'll do one at a time, and then and then we'll we'll end with uh, with Stephen here. So. Hi, Dave and John. This is Dave from Columbus. Um, I've got two questions for you. Um, the first one is I was backing up some home movies um, that I had converted from. VHS to to digital, and the file was or the project in iMovie was about 96 gig or so. So um, I have two external USB hard drives copied it from one to the other, and then the the source drive, the original drive that I had, started acting a little flaky. Um, in my uh, iMac, it started reporting the size as 1.1 terabytes. But every single check that I ran on it, um, with a couple of downloadable tools from uh, Mac Update, uh, Disk Warrior, Disk Utility, and so forth, said nothing's wrong. So um, I'm curious about that. That's my first question. My second question is um, on the drive that I copied that 96 gig file to, whenever I went and opened up the project, it said that, um, you know, it was somehow corrupted and it didn't work. So I'm suspecting that something's wrong with the first drive. But whenever I, um, you, know, you can right-click on it and view content, um, everything seemed to be there. Everything was fine. Everything looked great. Um, anyway, can you give me your thoughts on that? Thanks. Bye. All right. Well, let's answer the uh, second half first. Yeah, I... I, I would assume that that you've got a corrupted source file, and 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 therefore any copies of it are, are going to give you trouble. Uh, so, that my guess is that despite the fact that you see the files there, perhaps the files themselves aren't complete or uh, or you know ba based on a damaged copy. So, uh, it sounds like the drive is is horked, man. I mean, it. it I think that's <laughs> the, I think that's the technical term. Yeah. And it sounds like a key part, the part that has the length of the files, has gotten clobbered. Yeah. And now, like, if I, you're nailing that part of the drive, then I would it. say that, that I'd be very concerned that other things close to that yeah. are probably kind of screwed up as well. So. Yeah. So you know, the the one thing you could try is to. Well, my guess is nothing is going to fix this drive other than a reformat. So copy everything off as best you can and reformat. However, and you may want to try, um, you yeah. know, like we were just at the show, uh, Bribe Rescue is a nice thing, or, or one of the other. Yeah, it's not, he said he tried uh, Disk Warrior. Uh, did he? Okay. Yeah, and that. All right, Data me, Rescue may be good, but yeah, yeah. 
you may want to try a if they're critical. It's right. these Data are important rescue. files. Yeah, that's right. Sometimes you got to try a couple of different utilities. They they each have their own strengths and weaknesses as far as how they guess it. You know what's legitimate and what's not. So yep, could be worth a try. The, Again, it depends on how important that stuff is. For for problems like this one, I would highly recommend booting into single user mode, Command S, mm -hmm. as you restart. When you get to the command line, follow the instructions right above the command prompt for running FSCK. Mm -hmm. I know we all believe that disk utility, it runs the same thing as FSCK, but we have proven that to not be the case. I know it, everybody says that that's what happens, but I've fixed problems with FSCK that disk utility would not even see, let alone fix. So, mm. uh, so it is somehow different. I don't know how but uh but but it is so go ahead and try that from the command line you know it, it sounds like that that volume header block is is the yeah. issue so perhaps fsck without anything else mounted on the drive can can get in there and fix that if it does fix it copy everything off and then and then nuke and pave the drive i, I would not i would not believe that that drive is going to last yet so all right so he has another uh Another Drive backup. last thing. I'm going to toss in a little thingy here. Very quickly? Yeah, go. Okay. There's something called SMART. You may have heard of this. I forgot yeah. what it stood for. I actually have a little thing um, called SMART Reporter. I'll link to it in the notes. Uh, but but most modern drives have a feature. I think it's a system, whatever. It's, it's basically a, a feature of a drive where the drive will say, I'm happy or I'm about to die. Could you please... You know, save me quickly, and uh, so I have this add-on on my PowerBook, and I actually on all my machines, and and it shows what the drive has to say about how it thinks it's doing. It sounds like here it's almost it could be physical. Uh, it's yeah. hard to say. Yeah, it could be physical damage where where the drive is saying help me, help me, and there's you know maybe if it gets really severe, OS 10 will report it on the OS level. I don't know, but they have these third-party utilities like. You know, this one here, Smart Reporter, which yep. will say, hey, the drive is complaining that it's not happy. You better do something really quick. Self-monitoring analysis and reporting technology. Ah, those of you excellent. Along at home. All right, so we'll go on to Dave's second backup question here. And, uh, and John, I hope John has some insight here for us. Hi, John and Dave. This is Dave from Columbus. Got a question for you. I was listening to your uh, backup strategies or backup questions, and... Our, our local uh, micro center here has, um, you know, two and four gig flash drives for 20 or 30 bucks. And I was wondering what your thoughts are on, is the flash drive start to reach the current um, DVD limit, you know, about 4.7 gig to, you know, four gig on the flash drive, um, using the flash drives for backups um, versus the DVDs. Anyway, thanks. Uh, you know, my my only concern with that, John, of course, would be what's the longevity on, on those flash drives? And I think you've got the answer for us here. Yeah, so I did some poking around online. And, you know, a lot of this is, is uh, it's hard to nail it down and say 10 years, 20 years. But the research I did from a couple of semiconductor vendors hints at uh, that these devices that, that use flash for storage, you're talking 10 to 20 years. Now, it's hard to say because a lot of times... A lot of these technologies haven't been out that long. <laughs> Same thing right. with CDs and DVDs. Right. A lot of like CDs. I, I forget, Dave. The um, yeah. I mean, how do you know? I mean, if you test it, assuming that you're doing the number of read and write cycles, well, it's not really an accurate test because the time 
factor you can't duplicate. You could duplicate the number of reads and writes you think will happen, but that's modifying the, you know, the, the time basis for the test. So you can make a good guess, but most people acknowledge that you know, Flash, if you do nothing, 10 to 20 years is, is a reasonable per huh. persistence for the data. That's, now, I mean, that's just as good as a, as a CD, right? I mean, for the right once media, now I've seen less, and this is another thing I've seen, is the trend is the right once media that's not the RW, that's just the R media, yeah. will tend to last longer. Now, you know, there are dogs Long, or longer, other technologies. Longer, longer than in... the read-write technology. Got it. Okay. Now, I like the RWs because they're basically big monsters floppies. Right. Um, and probably about as fast. Eh, a little faster. Hmm. Um, but you got to look at this aspect. So Flash, relative, I would say, yeah. Flash... As long as you're not whopping on the thing and reading and writing very many times, because a lot of these memory devices do have a limit, uh, unlike hard drives, um, at least I haven't seen this on hard drives, memory devices have a limit as to how many times you can read and write reliably. Okay. Um, and they give this as, you know, MTBF, mean time between failures, or some other spec. So for occasional storage for within the next 10 years, I would say Flash is an excellent way to... to you know, hedge your bets. All right. Well, there you go. I would still go for a hard drive for longer-term storage, or, or it sounds like at this point right now, based on what you and I know, Dave, that yeah. optical media would give you as much. And, you know, an important part here is storage. Like even I saw on the memory devices, you know, don't put it in the freezer or... The hot soapy <laughs> you know, water. Desert. Very bad. A lot of these yeah. will have conditions, and you may want to pay attention to them if you're thinking of long-term storage, is a lot of these, I mean, you know, paper is a very sensitive medium to this. Humidity and all that. Same with media. Paper has if that fire it, problem, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, other things, you know, if you give them a, <laughs> enough flame. Enough, um, that's will, true. But, you know, yeah. so optical stuff, you know, you probably want to keep it out of bright lights. You probably want to have regulated humidity and uh, temperature just to make sure you don't put them out of spec. And, and if you dig deep enough, you will get these suggested values for either memory devices or disks as far as the, the ideal environment um, to keep them. And actually, I've seen another thing in backup strategies. Don't keep your backups on the same site as where you are in case something really bad happens. Yeah. Hey, I got a backup. Oh, it's in the building that just burned down. Whoops. Whoops. Yeah. Have it off site. You got these places like Iron Mountain and, and you know, many, many other places, you know, it, if you really want to protect your data, keep it off-site in a physically as far away as is reasonable. Yeah, well, uh, you know what site. a lot of what I see a lot of companies do, smaller companies, is mm. they'll have someone, usually the reception, you know, the person kind of running the office manager, if you will, uh, mm. takes, you know, if they've got, let's say they've got uh, backup tapes or or CDs, mm -hmm. if you're backing up once every day have two sets, one for one week and one for the next week. And on the weekends, right. on Friday night, you take one set home with you. and mm -hmm. Or maybe Friday morning you bring one set in and take one set home Friday night, you know, however you want to manage it. Uh, but at least that way you've got, you know, backups in two different places uh, most of the time. So, and, and you know, as long as you trust your, uh, your office manager or whoever it is you assign yeah. that task to, you're good to go. Yeah, but it's really, it's really cool actually to see, like right now I have a, uh, although it gave me a little grief, earlier with that you know dvd mounting problem I yeah. mean, you're getting now i think the the city are i think you can get eight gigabyte um wow. flash devices yeah of course you can yeah because the, they may be edging on an eight well then i mean the nano is an eight so there you go okay but i mean in like a handheld oh uh, i see like a yeah, thumb, I mean, of course thumb drive stack, kind of thing yeah yeah thumb drive in that form factor i, I don't know if i've seen an eight as of yet but i'm sure it's coming so 
yeah, that may be a you know a great way to uh, well, you know, I'm sure most of our listeners already carry around a little thumb or flash drive, which are, are just you know oh so fashionable. And uh, yep. Now I see the Super Media Store has uh, 16 gig flash drives. Really? Ooh. Yeah. Okay. At least that's what they say for 330 bucks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're paying a little bit for that. A yeah. little more than a hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> if you spent that on a hard drive, you'd probably get a, <laughs> you'd be a all wee set. bit more. Yeah. One thirty for hey. the eight gig though. So there nice. you go. Okay. Yeah. So you pay, uh, you pay for the latest technology. You you do, yeah. You you want to be on the bleeding edge, it's uh it's gonna hurt a little. So are we, uh, are we about, uh... I think we are. Yeah, well, there's the band. So, you know, it was really kind of cranky. Initially, I was going to get really cranky tonight because two of my favorite shows are oh, both on man. at the same time. 24 and Heroes. Curse you, Networks. But then I realized, as Dave probably did, we both have dual tuner TiVos. So go. to the Networks, I say, well, can you put a beep sound in there? Uh, No. We're not going like to do any you, post-production. You, I'm, I'm, I'm too like, much in a fog as it is. <laughs> you tried to torment us, but we will beat you. I'm, I'm recording both. So, but you how, are you happy with the uh, the series three? So far, so good. Other than the money that's missing from my pocket, but you know. Yeah, well, you know, I see they extended. I think they extended the uh, yeah transfer had, deal. Uh, yeah, until the end of this month. That's right. If you're going to do it, let me know, because it, at least we can, uh, you know, do a little uh, get get TiVo points going. So let us know if you're going to do the TiVo thing. So, uh, Where am I here? Oh, yeah. So uh, home networking. We, we asked you to start sending in comments, and, and you've started okay. sending them in. Send in more, because uh, it, maybe next week we'll, we'll have enough to, to do. We probably already have enough, but, but send in more comments about home networking, questions, queries, concerns, a- anything you ever wanted to ask, but we're too afraid. Uh, home networking <laughs> next week. Be afraid no longer. Be, uh, that's right. Fear no longer. You can even send it in anonymously. Hi, this is Mr. X. You could even do it with the, uh, with the voices like Toby did this week for the, uh, uh. the audio engine thing. So. <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's that Cashfly hosting is where you've downloaded this podcast from. In the podcast marketplace this month is the 6i Isolator earphones from Edemotic, the A5 desktop speakers from AudioEngineUSA.com, TeachMac from TeachMac.com, and Yojimbo from Barebones Software. Yo, Jimbo. Yo, Jimbo. That's new. Backbeat Media Podcast Network is where you can get on this show. Uh, if you want to advertise this, that is. Of course, if you just want to get your comments on... We've got a whole lot of options. 206-666-GEEK, which is? 4335. That's right. MacGeekGab at MacObserver.com. Skype to MacGeekGab. If you want a snail mail address, just email us. We'll let you know. Uh, Who uses that anymore? I have no idea. Oh, we we, we had somebody send us T-shirts last year. Remember that? Those those cool uh, Godfather T-shirts? So, yeah, if you want a snail mail address, (laughs) let us know. That's yeah. Think very different. We're not going to show those to the Apple lawyers. They get no, cranky. No, well, they're they're we didn't pay for them. They're one of a kind. And if you case. have yeah, good so. comments about the show or bad comments, Let it, iTunes, iTunes and Podcast Alley, and you can also vote for us. That's right. Vote early, vote often. Uh, Just like the U.S. elections. What? Whoa! Whoa. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Speaking right, of, it. oh yeah, George is uh, speaking tomorrow, right? Yeah, State of the Union. I put that on the TiVo. That's right. All right. Oh yeah. <sighs> That's it. I'm done. I'm going to go. And, You're uh, done? Yeah, I'm taking NyQuil tonight. But I can't Whoa. take NyQuil because it doesn't have uh, decongestant in it, so i got to take something else. But, you know, whatever oh. it is. I'm Damn. done. I think you should probably try a 120-minute uh, IPA. Oh. 
Stuff would knock me out, man. Although that's <laughs> not a bad, not a bad idea. Probably not. If you're gonna keep drinking that stuff, just make sure you don't get caught. Made up. 